Welcome, friends, people for peace, pods of consciousness, planetary citizens, wherever you happen to be today, listening to Glocal News in Social Artistry. I am your host, Dick Dalton, and each week we have the pleasure of talking to someone who is building a more humane world from the inside out. And this week, our guest is Jessica Tafasi. How did I do on that pronunciation? Did good. <laughs> All right. And Jessica is a senior at Mizzou uh, in the School of Vid Visual Studies. Visual Studies uh, and Digital Storytelling. So we'll try to explore that because I didn't even know there was a School of Visual Studies <laughs> since yeah. I was there. Maybe it's uh, see I. My last degree was in 1980, so I don't know when your particular uh, school got got uh, going, but I'm glad it's there. Particularly with the True False Film, False Film Festival, that's a tongue twister. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure there's a a, a lot of uh, blending of your degree and and uh, your school with with that uh, study. Yeah. Yeah, cool. So uh, how should we start? Uh, let me just tell the audience that I learned of you through one of my other guests, uh, Ruben Fologi, who uh, graduated from Mizzou and is now a psychologist down in Florida. And he said that uh, you had interviewed him mm -hmm. and that he was sad because you hadn't heard of the 2015, uh, what should we call it, uprising mm -hmm. that happened. So I'm interested to know if you've had a chance to explore that a little bit. And uh, what did you find? Um, yeah, so um, being from Houston, Texas, Mizzou hadn't been on my radar for I guess since my senior year in high school. So I was definitely like a sophomore or junior when 2015 kind of happened on Mizzou's campus. And I remember briefly hearing about it and not really paying too much attention to it just because I was so distant from what was happening. Um, and I think I didn't start really learning about what happened here until I got on campus. And it was kind of like a brief introduction to what kind of went on here and I was in a journalism freshman interest group and basically we watched the Concerned Student 1950 documentary and I remember just sitting in that classroom with my peers and kind of just being in awe um, is the best way I would describe it of those students and that student movement and just everyone on campus and it's crazy because I feel like I'm a product of generations and whether it's my, my parents or the generations of black students that have fought to have a spot on this campus. Like I'm a product of that fight. So it almost felt discouraging being on a campus that didn't recognize them as what they were to me, um, which I felt like they were revolutionaries. Um, and I was so proud to be part of something and kind of being a product of that um, group so I felt, you know, so inspired by them. Um, and the more I kind of got involved on campus, I realized the conversation about those students was never 
in a celebratory fashion. It was more of just like, this happened on Mizzou's campus and we don't want to talk about it. It's a taboo type of thing. And I always thought that was really weird. Um, and it's kind of just been something that's just been in the back of my head of wanting to rewrite history. And I think I kind of got the idea to do this project that I'm working on, which is a documentary, kind of looking at the narrative that is of 2015 and what has happened on campus and using the past and the present to kind of recreate our future. Um, so throughout this process, it's like I'm learning more about what happened here and I'm learning how current students don't really know anything. And the university, I would say, is at fault with that because the information is available, you know, but no one's pushing us in the direction to get us to that information. So hearing from Ruben himself and having a original member kind of speak to me what he went through is kind of mind boggling. And it's like, I almost want to act as a bridge for, to the like past and present, you know? So it's just been incredible kind of relearning the right history and wanting to be on the right side and have a group of students kind of be aware of what's happening, so. I love that phrase, uh, using the past and present to uh, create our future. I mean, mm -hmm. if we, if what's that popular slogan? If, if we don't know where we came from, how can we know where we're gonna go? Yeah, Yeah. 100%. So you're actually producing a documentary yeah, so I'm working on it. I've been working on it um, with a couple of my professors and a classmate. Um, we're trying to, we've been doing these street interviews, which is a way of us kind of seeing what people know. Do people know anything? Why don't they know anything? Um, and it's a cool way of just like seeing everyone on campus. And then from there, we're trying to kind of hear from people who might have known way more um, and then Next month, we're planning on having like reenactments of specific moments um, during 2015 and have like people who know, people who don't know kind of participate in this like act of revisiting history. Um, so I'm really excited because I feel like this is like my last gift to the university and to Columbia. So it feels good to kind of be working on this thing four years after all of this has been like brewing, you know? Yeah. Well, last week, my guest was Gene Robinson. Have you interviewed Gene? I have not. All right. He's a professor emeritus from Mizzou, and he was oh, wow. right there next to Ruben and uh, Jonathan. And I think he would be a wonderful person for you to uh, interview. Most definitely. He'd love to be at the reenactment, I'm sure. He's right there in Columbia, and uh, I can hook you up uh, after we get through with our interview today. Yes, please. Yeah, so uh, can you give a, a, a little more sense of what you're discovering? You say students have not been very aware and that it's been sort of a negative uh, view of those days. Can you explain that? Yeah, so um, I think a lot of students kind of, well, based on the street interviews, um, it's like people know what happened, but they don't know to what extent. So they know that some type of 
uprising was taking place in 2015 on campus. Um, it's crazy because I've interviewed this one student who literally his high school was 10 minutes away from Ferguson and he knew about all of that but didn't know that Mizzou had anything going on. And it's crazy how close a student can be to Columbia and to Mizzou's campus and still have no idea. And I think it's interesting because a lot of times, like after we stop filming, the students will say, hey, can you tell me what happened? So it's not like students don't wanna know. And I think, again, that's one, I can't help but question why we don't have access to this information and why it's not part of um, a history that we are constantly recognizing, you know? And it's kind of almost frustrating because it's like, I saw something that I wanted to be a part of and I was so proud to happen at a college campus that I currently am going to. Um, so instead of being ashamed of what happened here, I want to go to a university that acknowledges it and is proud about it and works to make it better. And I don't think our university is doing that. If anything, I think whenever something close to what happened in 2015 kind of starts um, coming up, I think the university tries to stop it at all costs. and. Um, silence different voices on campus and I think that's not okay and I don't want to be I don't want to have gone through all of this to leave and graduate knowing that I didn't do anything to contribute to the rewriting of our narrative you know so I'm just learning how frustrating it is um, that I can be a representative of the university but still feel like my voice is being silent but instead of just waiting I guess to graduate and be done, I'm making an effort with the students that are also interested in making an effort. So it makes me really happy to know that I'm meeting students from literally all aspects of campus um, wanting to be a part of something like this. And again, if the university doesn't wanna do it, I'll team up with the students who kind of make this university to make it happen for us. Uh, boy, you, you just triggered all kinds of thoughts. <laughs> Uh, one of them, though, go. let's go back on LinkedIn. I, I found you on LinkedIn. And mm -hmm. you identify yourself as a disruptive storyteller. <laughs> well, I'd like for you to talk about that a little bit. But let me put it in the context mm -hmm. that evidently the story of Concerned Student 1950 and the uprising has been disrupted by other factors. Mm -hmm. So we have other disruptive storytellers. Yeah. <laughs> you have some competition is what I'm trying to get at. Yeah, that's funny. So how do you see yourself as a disruptive storyteller? Mm -hmm. are, are you, um, well, I'll let you tell me. Yeah, so, um... I think even from like high school days, I've always been fascinated by people who were willing to do whatever they could to tell the stories of people who are silenced and being a black woman, it's always important for me to highlight voices that I feel like are being misrepresented in the media or not represented at all. So um, I kind of coined this idea of me wanting to be a disruptive storyteller in the aspect that I wanna disrupt conventional approaches to storytelling. And um, whether it's making people uncomfortable or anxious, I want 
to invoke thought. And um, I think with this, this idea, you are so right. I never thought about the fact that the narrative of CS1950 is already being disrupted by um, different people who might not be on the same agenda as me. Um, so I think more with projects like these, it's more just talking to people who don't want to talk to me. And I know there's a quote like, if there's not a seat at the table, bring a chair. But at this point, like I'm willing to make my own table um, and have important conversations with people. So that's what I kind of want to do with this documentary because it's a story that I think kind of shows itself year after year. What happened in 2015 is not new. It's not an isolated event. It's happened so many times on this campus, but it seems like no one wants to talk about it. So I'm gonna disrupt that and make people talk about it. Mm -hmm. um, so that's where I kind of see myself as a disruptive storyteller. Cool, love it. <laughs> <laughs> I think I must be a bit of a disruptive storyteller myself. <laughs> you are. <laughs> I, I came uh, into the knowledge of a woman, and you want to write this down. Her name is Marilyn Waring, W-A-R-I-N-G. Yeah, she is a New Zealander, and there's a documentary on her called Who's Counting? Marilyn Waring on Sex, Lies, and Global Economics. And I'm I'm showing pieces of it in my uh, healthcare ethics class right now because what she's revealing in the documentary is a very disruptive storytelling mm -hmm. uh, from a woman's point of view and from the whole view of white uh, male supremacy and then not just white male but it sort of bleeds over into male supremacy dominating. Mm -hmm. Uh, economics and and so on, and and she's a real disruptor. Oh my! You you get a chance to to just see the documentary. Uh, it's about an hour and a half long, and I recommend anybody listening to uh, to check out that Marilyn Waring uh, as a as a way to look at. It gives us a chance to look at the world through a different lens. You know, a, a, another lens different perspective. And I think that's what you're trying to do as well. Yeah. So I appreciate it. I'm going to check out. One of the points that she makes and what we also talked with Ruben and Jean is that money has power and a university like any university, Mizzou or anywhere else has to have funding in order to operate. And lo and behold, when uh, the uprising happened and had national notoriety, mm -hmm. funding went down. Yeah. So <laughs> what do we do? do? Do we cut services since we don't have, do we fire teachers? Do we uh, in order to balance uh, so that we can you, you see, from the other point of view, mm -hmm. the story had to be disrupted in order to stabilize the funding stream. Mm -hmm. And uh, how, did, how does that feel to you when, when you see 
the power of the purse um, in this kind of a circumstance? Um, that's a good question. Um, it's definitely something that I've always like kind of circled back to like is the I guess the story being disrupted by the upper um, the uppers is it justifiable because they needed to save Mizzou from funding or low enrollment but I think at the end of the day um, that's not what my issue is really I think it's more of just the fact that it's like we're constantly ignoring the wrong things on campus and acknowledging mm. the wrong things. Um, and while I think Mizzou is constantly silencing students who put so much into the university and make it what it is, mm. um, it's time that more and more students are aware of these truths. And it, I like I don't want anyone to ever think that like, I hate the university, and I think a lot of times we're constantly having to justify why we are having these important conversations with the university. It's because we see so much potential, and I love and appreciate the university for what it is, but I can see where it's at fault, and I want to change that and be part of the conversation to change that. Um, so it does make me frustrated because I feel like at the end of the day, I'm not seen as a person, but as a way that the university can get like money out of, whether it's me recruiting other students to come here or whether it's my own money that I'm paying into tuition. So in that realm, I feel like I can literally, it helps with me having this story out because um, it's like I have all of these perspectives mm -hmm. and I want the university to do better, you know? so. Mm -hmm. It's also interesting because I am always in awe of what the football team did and stepping up and literally they threatened such a big thing that if not for them, I don't know what would have happened, unfortunately. Like would Jonathan Butler have died because of the hunger strike? Um, so with that, the, the football team was doing activism before Colin Kaepernick did it and they hit them where it, where it hurt you know like they um hit where the money was like really a deciding factor so um it's it's interesting to see what the university does when money is literally um being targeted and I don't know I kind of want more people to realize that and realize those hidden truths as well as um the reality of the situation you mentioned that uh, some students are being silenced in some way. Um, it, it, do you have any stories to tell about that? Or is that just, do we have to wait for the documentary? <laughs> yeah, I feel like, yeah, you might have to wait for the documentary, but um, constantly I think we're seeing students speak out about different things that are happening on campus and what they're facing. And it feels like, um, we are being silenced on a day-to-day -day basis. I can't speak for everyone, but I know on my personal, um, what I've seen and the things that I've dealt with, I'm not alone, you know? And I think it's a very sucky thing to, to feel like I'm giving so much to, to the university and I'm not getting anything returned except a degree. And um, 
I want people to know that you don't have to go and come here and be okay with being silent, you know, like you can get your voice to be heard. And if they're not going to hear you, other students will and under students and faculty and staff do care. Um, so I don't know, it's times where I'm, I mean, I remember at the beginning of the school year, we had a student org, um, Mizzou 600, they faced a couple of repercussions for protesting in Jesse Hall. And even that, that like historically, there's a lot of protests that, that have happened on this campus. So for them to have kind of been potentially faced with consequences for critiquing the university where it deserved to be critiqued is kind of baffling to me in my opinion. Mm -hmm. But again, I can't speak for every student um, and what those students went through, but something that I see on campus and I feel like it's always happening, which is very unfortunate. Wow. And even with the Concerned Student 1950 movement, like their legacy and what they did is constantly, constantly being silenced because it's almost like we're teaching the wrong things or we're not teaching anything about what they actually did on this campus. Mm -hmm. Do you intend to interview any of the administration or uh, maybe even a legislator uh, that might have a perspective on this money situation? I mean, it would be amazing to <laughs> interview any administration because um, at the end of the day, it's just a conversation with us all that I'm really interested in having. So if anyone wants to talk, I'm, I would love to like hear what they have to say and I would want them to hear what we have to say as students. Um, but I also want this not to just be about the students because there's so many other people who I feel like their voices haven't been heard and what they kind of went through in 2015 hasn't been acknowledged either. So legislation, I would love to hear from any legislators, um, but I think this is really important in getting who this is affecting on campus, you know, not who is doing the harm, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Well, it's a, a systemic thing, don't you think? Mm -hmm. uh, you you want to, you know, it's sort of natural to try to point a finger at a person or, you know, mm -hmm. this is the cause, but when it's a whole system, actually we're all. Yeah. Everyone uh, that, that pays taxes and, and every student and every faculty and staff, uh, we're all party to the system. Mm -hmm. And uh, it would, what do you think it might take to shift a system. This is this is kind of the question, isn't it? How do we change the system? <laughs> um, I mean, this is a like big question, and I feel like we're asking this question literally everywhere around the country. And I think, I mean, I don't have the solution for anything, but I think the first step is acknowledging the problems mm -hmm. um, and not just pushing them into the closet of skeletons, you know? And I think just the, let alone the fact that we're seeing the same things happen every five years in 1969 or in the 2000s or even in 2015 um, is so obvious that the problem has never been resolved, you know? And it's like, 
we're just waiting for new groups of students to come in and push out you know the past and kind of erase history so it's like you can train a new group of students to be okay with what's happening mm -hmm. um and i think as i'm like doing this process with uh, my team that's been helping me where it's like we're realizing that it's almost like there's institutionalized memory um and it feels like as a student like i didn't start really learning about all these cracks in the system until my junior senior year and by the time i'm also worried about like postgraduate plans. Um, so it's not enough time to do change, but it's like those first two years, you're still like navigating this world. So it's by the time where you're ready to speak out and change things, you're already being pushed out. So the new group of students is kind of left not knowing anything. So that's why it's important for me to have people acknowledge these things and acknowledge that this is not just a 2015 thing. This is happening constantly. Um, and I think that's like, that's like the first step to like kind of disrupting the system and kind of changing the system is acknowledging the problems and the cracks in the system and the faults. Because um, until you do that, you can't do anything. That's how I feel personally. Right. And different people see different things as problems. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you may appear to someone as the problem. <laughs> 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 whereas as you see you know you look at something else and say well this is this is one of the problems and really they're all symptoms aren't they yeah um, how do we how do we change our cultural view because the culture has a, a viewpoint mm -hmm. and the the student subculture has a viewpoint and the black student subculture has a viewpoint you know so mm -hmm. we we have these cultural perspectives and and it it really makes systemic change all the more uh, um, either frustrating or uh, time consuming mm -hmm. because you're really shifting a cultural perspective so uh, you're a, a digital storyteller. Mm -hmm. How? What's the difference between a, uh, an oral storyteller and a digital storyteller? Um, I mean, at the core, I think you're still a storyteller. I think the only difference is that I'm able to use different mediums like photography or videography or even like audio narratives to really tell my story. Um, I think it's weird. It's like, I don't consider myself a, a historian, but I'm very intrigued by like history and like the methods people have gone about into, um, I guess, talking about history, if that makes sense. So um, I think it's interesting that like, I like to do things digitally, but I take photographs and I'm always like, how can I make this even more powerful? And I've seen things where it's like, add it to the wall or make zines or zines. Um, and I think that's what's cool about being like a digital storyteller is that I'm able to take digital um, mediums and transform it in a way where it's able to like transcend any barriers um, so that's really cool, but I don't think 
between a digital storyteller and an oral storyteller, I think at the end of the day, you're just trying to get a story out um, of something that's not being heard or listened to. So um, it's just cool enough to be able to like use my storytelling methods and like my digital knowledge to really transform these stories. Are you uh, seeing attention spans uh, affecting how you're able to get a story out? Say for instance, uh, TikTok's 15 seconds. <laughs> yeah. Uh, as opposed to a one hour documentary. Mm -hmm. And how are you adapting to that um, methodology, uh, mm -hmm. or are you? Are you sitting back and say, well, nope, I'm doing the one hour documentary and then you're gonna like it. <laughs> um, I mean, that's a good question. And I think being um, a part of this like newer generation, I can see it in my day to day. Like I have a very short attention span, um, but I think if you're interested, if if you're interested in something, no time is gonna like make you not be interested in that thing, you know. So I definitely keep that the idea that you really have to lock a person as soon as a video starts or as soon as they see a picture or hear something. You really need to hit them with a punch so they stay in tuned. Um, but with my documentary itself, I never planned on it being longer than like. 30 minutes just because I don't think um I don't think it needs to be super long to get the message said I think this is a very um explicit message that I'm trying to get out and I think 30 minutes is like a good kind of range for someone to kind of see what's going on and understand what's going on um but it's weird it's like I do a lot of photography pieces and I think that helps with people who might not want to watch a video or might not want to listen to something for an hour, you know? So, but I think it's something that you just have to evolve with the time, you know? So it's definitely not something that I ignore, but it's not something that I'm only focused on, you know? Cause I think that could kind of ruin um, the message of the medium that I'm using. How do people access your uh, photography, for instance, uh, how do you get your snippets, your messages out where they're visual? Um, usually I use social media, to be honest. Um, I've, it's weird. I'm like not the most social media person, but I try my best to utilize them to get kind of my stories out. Um, I've been entering things into exhibitions. So like more eyes can see so I can have more conversations with people from everywhere. I'm also interested in physically taking my stories into different realms. Um, I got the opportunity to participate in the showcase recently and I was able to talk to some really amazing jurors and they talked about me physically putting um, my photography series into places that might not like art is not even accepted you know into maybe neighborhoods and wheat pasting my work onto these incredible like spaces that you don't see type of artwork so I think that again is part of me wanting to be like disruptive as possible um and I don't want to have work that people try to hide from um so I think I need to like kind of 
see how I can transcend that aspect and get my work out more in places that um, we don't usually get to see the stuff in, you know? And that's, I always admire Barbara Kruger and how she made her work so accessible to everyone in different communities, um, whether it's in a skate park or in a bus stop or in a museum, everyone from any background could see her work and get what she was trying to say. So I kind of want to like mimic that in my, my practice. Well, folks, I'm talking with Jessica Tefase, a senior at uh, Mizzou in the School of uh, Visual uh, Visual Arts. Arts. Visual. Oh, almost there. Okay, Visual Arts and uh, Digital Storytelling. Uh, just to make sure you know that this is Jessica. So, uh, uh, you mentioned this woman, uh, uh, Marilyn. What's her last name again? That has the Kruger. Uh, oh, Barbara Kruger. Oh, Barbara Kruger. Here, I'm stuck on Maryland, aren't I? <laughs> Barbara Kruger. I'm not, I, I've probably seen some of her work, but I don't know the name. So what will I see that Barbara Kruger has put up somewhere? Um, um, like, oh, like in the 80s, 90s, um, she played with a lot of like mass consumerism things and just social construct. And um, she has this one piece where it's like, I think what's cool is that it was all like hand done before and I can't like speak too much on her work. But what I saw was like a lot of like hand stuff. So whether it was like newspaper clippings or magazine clippings um, and seeing how she just manipulated these different things um, to kind of create something of her, her own was always interesting to me. And I think she's really evolved with the time because I remember one time like seeing a picture of like a skate park just filled with kind of her traditional bold um, short phrases and um, like explicit colors. So it's amazing again that I think a lot of artists should kind of have the same idea of wanting to make your work accessible to everyone and not just have it in the museums, you know? So that's something I've always just admired about her work. And I kind of got in, one of my professors just put me onto her work last year. So I've just been oh. like in a rabbit hole of like seeing all of her stuff. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. I, I, I thought maybe she was an inspiration back in high school, but, uh, Oh no, super recent. Um, but yeah, I think it's crazy how like you can get put onto like someone and then from there, it's just like, psh, like your mind just expands a lot. So she's one of those people that I've recently learned about and I'm just so fascinated and intrigued by her and her practice. Great. Well, you're from Houston. How did mm -hmm. your family do during the, uh, the big storms? Yeah, so uh, it's weird because I feel like I escaped all of the bad things um, in the recent years. So I remember my first years when Hurricane Harvey hit and I was here and my family was back home. And thankfully there wasn't a lot of damage in our neighborhood, um, but the same for like this year with um, the really bad windstorm that happened. Um, we had a couple of pipes burst, but thankfully my family caught it before it got really bad. 
Um, so I'm really lucky, but that's not the case for everyone. But it's weird because I feel like I haven't been able to like, because I'm so far, it's like I can't do much. Mm-hmm. Um, but said pray and just check in with them and everything. But they, they've been doing really good. So thank you for asking. Uh-huh. Well, another reason for asking is, does it interest you to learn the story of why this happened and this this energy company and 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 the, you know the various things that we read in the newspaper or see on the TV about what happened? I, I just wondered. Houston has been in the news so much. Mm-hmm. It seems like a a place that you might even find more stories to. Uh, to build on is that something you might do after you graduate yeah i mean it's always i think i just have found myself just being fascinated in the environments that i'm in and i think that stemmed from being in such a like culturally rich area like houston and houston is just a makeup of so many identities and i think it's incredible like i literally love that city so much and it sucks that Sometimes we're in the news for upsetting things. Um, But it's crazy because I think there's so much happening there and elsewhere around the world that I just like want to continue to tap into these different stories in different places. Um, But my post-grad plans, I'm still deciding, but um, I don't really plan on going back to Houston. I have some really cool opportunities elsewhere. So that's really exciting to kind of go to a new environment and new location and kind of continue to practice what I've been practicing in undergrad. Um, but who knows, in 20 years, I might go back to Houston and kind of discover and rediscover the, the stories that are kind of always illuminating that area. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, any interest in Nigeria? You're a, a Nigerian-American, right? Is that the way you listed? interested in going to uh, Nigeria? Yeah, so um, that's part of my identity. I'm a first generation American. So my parents are both immigrants from Nigeria. Um, It's crazy because I think I've always like struggled with my identity. So I've always felt like I was never Nigerian enough or I'm not American enough. I'm like too black for the white kids. I'm too white for the black kids. So I'm just kind of exploring the different identities of myself as I explore different identities of other people. Um, But I think Nigeria is amazing. I'm glad to be part of a culture that is just incredible. And I think, um, again, like with Houston, there's a lot always happening in Nigeria. I thankfully got the experience to go with my family in 2007 and granted I was a little, yeah, I was a little kid, so I didn't really know what was going on. Um, But that has definitely been like always a plan to go back and just um, see and explore more of my heritage and my family back there, as well as like the different issues that are kind of rotting the country. That is just so incredible um, in my opinion. So you have a, a perspective on uh, immigrant issues mm-hmm. and uh, that's big in the news, Texas and the border. And uh, uh, how do you, how as a college student, are you, are you able to keep up with news like that? 
I know I didn't when I was in college. Mm -hmm. uh, um, that's a good question. I feel like there's so much happening that it's just so overwhelming almost all the time. Um, and I know personally, I try my best to be aware of the different issues that are happening. But at some point, it's almost like I've become numb to the issues that are happening. Mm -hmm. And it feels like with my projects and the series that I make or the videos that I make, it's like me kind of navigating these things that are happening. So it's kind of how I can communicate how I feel about these different issues. So I think it's hard. It's definitely hard to keep up with everything because at the end of the day, um, I'm here to get a degree and I'm trying to enjoy my life socially, um, but also not just be oblivious to the different issues that are plaguing our country, you know? So it's definitely a struggle, but I think I surround myself with people who are also passionate about what's happening around the world or even in the country that it's very easy to kind of be in the know, but there's definitely times where I am just like not really paying attention to what's happening because I'm so focused on an assignment or um, an event that's happening, you know? So it's definitely hard, but I think you make an effort if you're very interested and passionate about it. Yeah, our, our education system is interesting that we, uh, we have these, you have to take X number of courses and, and, and focus on like five courses at one time. And, and then there's the world that you live in. And it's, it, it's very odd how we, uh, how we have organized our educational system. And uh, I don't know if that's going to change as uh, time goes by, I'm sure it will in some ways. It's, it's yeah. been it's been this way for quite a while <laughs> for a long time yeah and I think what's cool is that a lot of people are kind of seeing the faults in our education system and wanting to change that and disrupt that um, and I think it really just starts with people just seeing how bad things are and not being okay with that and wanting to do better for the next generation um, and it's crazy because I didn't start seeing how faulty and the issues that are like everywhere in like K through 12 public education until I got to college. But some people don't even have access to college to see these things. So hopefully I'm with you. I like hope that things start changing um, because I think education and access to education is so important, but it also can be like that access can be used as a tool of oppression, you know, so. Yes. Uh, have you ever been over to the bridge uh, there at Mizzou? I have not. I would like for you to go over to the bridge. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Ruben Fologi was one of the co-founders of the bridge. Oh, wow. And uh, it's a a place there as part of the uh, School of Education that is supposedly uh, a place for communication. And I, I'm, I'm going to guess that you might enjoy whatever kind of things they have going on just to, just to be there for once and mm -hmm. see what, it, what kind of things they do. Um, 
I haven't been there either. So, you know, we're equal on that. Yeah. <laughs> but I hope to be in Columbia sometime when there's some activity going on. And yeah. I've had several people from uh, the administrative part of the bridge on my show. Oh, that's really so cool. uh, we're, we're connected, but uh, I think it would be a, I know you have a short time, a short window of opportunity <laughs> yeah. here, but uh, it might work out for you. And another thing that comes to mind is uh, more in your personal journey. Mm -hmm. How are you able to um, maintain your, uh, what should we say, your, your mindfulness, your uh, your spirituality as well as your physical health and and all of the things that you need to maintain as a human as a person in in the midst of all of these demands and deadlines and and pressures that you have yeah um so it's crazy because it's um i got in a really bad accident with um, a couple of my friends in October. And I kind of, I don't want to like get into much detail, but I got a concussion after that. And that was my first concussion. And I think with the course load and just the stress of everything, um, I had really bad um, brain fog. And even now I still have really bad brain fog every now and then. And it's weird because a lot of people are always like, Jessica, are you okay? Like, you know, you had an accident a couple of months ago, and I think it has never really registered to me until people kind of acknowledge what happened. Mm. Um, and I think, like, I'm so grateful for the people that I have in my life and the friends that I'm around because they've helped me kind of get through these very overwhelming times. I'm definitely um, not ashamed to say that I'm completely burnt out, and I feel like I've given a lot this year um, almost to the point of exhaustion. And I don't think that's okay to be so fatigued that it's, it's like, sometimes it's hard to like do anything or find the motivation to get out of class. Um, but it's then in those moments where I reach out to my professors who have made a constant effort to make sure that I'm okay, even with everything, or to reach out to my friends and my family. Um, so if not for them, I literally don't know where I could be because it's so hard finding the energy sometimes to like continue to want to do stuff. And with everything going on, it's like everyone expects you to still be on 100%, even though we're in the middle of a pandemic. Um, and I'm in the middle of a very chaotic senior year trying to navigate what I'm doing after graduation. So it's hard. It's definitely hard. But I think every now and then I take breaks and I hang out with my friends or I sit down and I watch a funny movie or I, I love sleeping. <laughs> um, <laughs> I thoroughly enjoy taking naps. Um, but I definitely think I could be a lot better and I want to get more into being very, I want to get more into mindfulness. Um, and people always recommend meditation for me, but I say that I am too like, energetic to do like to just sit there um but I think there's a lot of things that um I'm very interested in that could help me kind of take the stress off my plate I want to get into boxing because I think I have a lot of aggression and frustrations that I can take out so there's things every now and then um and there's days where I'm just very overwhelmed but I really try my best to communicate 
that with other people around me and that's been really helpful but, but I definitely think I'm not alone in this you know yeah well I'm I'm pleased to hear that you have a good support network uh, including professors uh, so uh, that's that's encouraging having been a professor for 30 years and oh, wow. been on the support side it's good to know that you've got the team there working with you so where can people go to find anything? Do they go to Instagram to find you? And if so, what's your handle? Or do they go to TikTok or do they go to, I know you're not on Facebook unless you got a different name. No. Um, yeah, I'm trying to get better about like my social presence. Um, so right now you can find me on LinkedIn or Twitter and definitely looking into making an Instagram. I don't know why I'm so against Instagram, but hopefully in like the next couple of weeks, you can find me on Instagram. Um, but you could just do what you did and just look me up on the internet and find something. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, right now, I'd say it's Twitter is like the best way to like reach me. Okay. Yeah, I typed in Jessica Tifase, T-I-F-A-S-E, Mizzou. <laughs> and instantly there was your your linkedin uh connection and i didn't even scroll down beyond that that was enough to get me uh, to get me started yeah <laughs> great well we're closing down on our time do you have some other thoughts that you would like to share with our audience today just that this documentary um, basically means a lot to me. And I know it means a lot to the people that I've gotten the opportunity to work with so far. So I'm just really excited um, to even have the support system that I have from um, a couple of professors of mine that I've had for a couple of years now. Uh, and it's weird because I think this year, I'm really starting to see like amazing things kind of happen in my life, but also the people around me. And it just feels like I'm kind of being able to see the fruit of my labor. So I'm really excited about this documentary. And I'm not doing this because I hate the university at all. I'm doing this because I love the university and what it has offered me um, and what it continues to offer me. And um, I hope that this would all be finished by May and it's going to be accessible everywhere. Um, it's not going to be like a streaming service that is going to like need money or whatever. Um, so yeah, so definitely by the, um, and I would love to have this all done by the time I graduate so I can really see the impact while I'm still on campus. Um, so just anyone who's interested in anything, um, please reach out to me. I would love to hear you guys' stories. Um, but yeah, it just means a lot to me that there's people who want to take part in this and feel like this story needs to be told and it's not just me. Because um, then it makes me feel like I'm not crazy, you know? <laughs> oh, oh, really? And there's a lot of us that remember and uh, are still, and still concerned. <laughs> You mentioned that, that you have seen some fruits of your labors. Mm -hmm. That made me wonder, can you give an example of what that means to you, the fruits of your labors? Yeah, um, I think 
when I first got here, I originally came for journalism um, and I kind of realized that that's not what I wanted to do at all. Um, okay. As much as I want to be a storyteller, um, I want to do it in a way that I believe is true to myself. And I think journalism just wasn't that for myself. And I think I went my first two years of just kind of struggling through college, not really understanding my place in college or in this world. And um, there's definitely, my friends know this, my professors know this, my classmates know this. There's definitely times where I feel like I've overworked myself um, to the point of exhaustion. Um, with my assignments, it, it has never been just assignments for me. Um, I always use it as a way to connect with other people and to tell the stories of the people that I'm around. So um, in my photography classes or my digital storytelling classes, I've always felt like I needed to use these moments to really tell the stories that I want to tell. And I think at some times I was giving myself anxiety and stress. And this year there's just been so many incredible opportunities just falling in my lap. Mm. Um, and at one point I thought something bad was going to happen to me because so many good things were happening to me. And a really close professor of mine told me that I'm just seeing the fruits of my labor and that's what it is. And I shouldn't think that I don't deserve good things. So um, from getting into like grad school to winning a really big showcase and um, just getting my work seen and shown in different places and different platforms, I feel like it's been a way for me, not only to just recognize my work that I've done, but also to see that I'm growing as a storyteller and as the person that I wanna be and the opportunities that I've gotten here have given me the tools that I need to become this person. And it's just really exciting to see this all kind of form and take place my senior year. Um, so yeah, that's what I mean by I'm seeing like the fruits of my labor. Beautiful, beautiful. Uh, you mentioned grad school. Have, yeah. you, have you assigned the contract? I have not. Um, I got into Virginia Commonwealth University. So um, that's an incredible program in this nation. And I'm just so grateful that I even had an opportunity to go here, um, to go to that university. So I'm still looking at the logistics of everything. Um, and I have a little bit of time to kind of weigh out my decision, but it's definitely something I want to, like, I'm not going to rush into it because it is a big decision. Um, and I know this is going to benefit me for the rest of my life, but I definitely want to be very cautious of everything. Um, but it's just crazy because it's like my portfolio is literally of, like work that I got to make with all of my friends. So when I say that my support system here has been amazing, it literally has been amazing and nothing I could have ever done on this campus would not have been because of those people. So I'm just like really grateful. And I also could just be reminiscing on my four years now, <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's, it's amazing. Great. Uh, you mentioned that showcase that you won. Where was that? Um, so that was the visual arts and design showcase here at Mizzou oh. um, through the, yeah, the undergraduate studies. Um, they kind of have this amazing showcase on it, like every year. And last year I got to compete in it and it was just an insane opportunity. And the opportunities that I got from just taking part in that, 
is literally why I'm like doing amazing things now. And um, last year I got runners up and this year I got two of awards that I was just like dreaming about. And the fact that I got it, it still doesn't feel real to me, um, but it's, it's just the fact that I got to do this with my friends, I think is like just amazing. And the jurors that um, were brought in were absolutely incredible. And the feedback that they gave all of the students and just being inspired by the other students in the competition. Um, I think it's one of the most incredible things that Mizzou kind of has offered for students, especially in the arts. You know, it's really nice to feel like we can get our voices elevated. So mm -hmm. an amazing showcase. If anyone listening is interested in it, definitely do it next year and the year after that and the year after that. Um, so yeah, that was amazing. Well, do they do a videography of the showcase? Um, so the showcase is actually up. It's still live right now. Oh. Um, I can send you the link. Um, if That'd you look great. up 2021 visual arts and design showcase, um, you'll probably get like the link and all of the work is still up right now. And you can see everything and you can see um, the talk with the jurors, the three jurors that we had. Um, so that's another thing that I would love to plug because I just got so inspired by the different works that were included in this. So just being surrounded by so many talented people on this campus, um, that was just a really cool opportunity. Wonderful. Well, I will post uh, that link with uh, the ad that I put up when I get your uh, your show up online. So Perfect. please send that to me. I'd love to see it myself, too. So, Jessica, we're out of time, my dear. <laughs> Jessica Tefase, a senior at Mizzou, uh, looking to graduate school and uh, disruptive storytelling, a, a successful venture into the future. Wow, this has been exciting. Yeah, thank you so much for this opportunity. This was just a really cool conversation and the work that you're doing is super amazing. So thank you for allowing me to be part of it. All right, well, we, we have been connected and I hope we stay connected. And friends, uh, remember, uh, wherever you are, uh, that is your world. Uh, please leave your world cleaner, more peaceful and more loving than you found it. Because if it is to be, it is up to us. So take care and talk to you soon. <laughs>